Ah, yes, welcome to MLB Morning Coffee here on a Thursday morning. A production of Athletes Unfiltered here from the Ocean Avenue Studios. Yes, we are still using the Ocean Avenue moniker, but we are a part of the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network. Go check them out at Unfiltered Podcasts on Twitter. Also search Athletes Unfiltered on iTunes and Spotify. We have got some news for you today. We've got free agency news. We've got the Blue Jays getting shut out of Canada once again. But we have to start with the biggest news of the day, news that dropped in the middle of the evening on Wednesday, and that is the new contract for San Diego Padres star shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. At the age of 22 years old, Fernando Tatis Jr. has signed a 14-year, $340 million contract extension with the San Diego Padres. That deal is going to take him until age 36. Tatis is nowhere close to his prime yet, but this signals to me that the Padres want this guy to be their franchise player for the rest of his career. Tatis is somebody that has the potential to be a superstar, and he was just scratching the surface of how good he could be during the 2020 season. Everybody thought that Fernando Tatis Jr. had a chance to win the MVP award until he tailed off at the end of the 2020 season. But you look at what his stats have been through his first couple of years, and it's easy to see why an investment like this is worth it. Tatis in his rookie year hit 317 in 84 games with 22 homers and 53 RBI. Last season, his average dipped 277, but he won the Silver Slugger Award, hit 17 homers, and drove in 45 runs in just 59 games. This is the youngest age that any star has ever gotten a mega deal. Mike Trout got his at age 27 to put that into perspective. But it's a smart deal for the Padres. He would probably have garnered a deal like this once he got to age 27 or once he got into free agency. What the Padres did here was incredibly smart. You may be looking at this contract and saying, why did the Padres pay a guy this much money before they absolutely had to? And it's a very fair question to ask. But here is my explanation for it. Look at the timeline of the contract from start to finish. It carries him from age 22 to age 36. It is going to carry him throughout the entirety of his prime. And the Padres could have decided to wait this out. But here's the problem with waiting it out. Fernando Tatis Jr. was going to warrant a contract like this once he got into his prime, he would have been given a 12 or a 13 year deal by somebody on the free agent market. That somebody would have given him that deal when he turned 25 or 26 years of age and it would have carried him to age 38, 39, or possibly 40. You would be paying Fernando Tatis Jr for years that he's not productive. See, Albert Pujols. And I know we talked about Pujols' contract in comparison to Nolan Arenado's contract. Now, you might be thinking, well, 
Nolan Arenado, you said that he would fall apart by age 35-36. What's to say that Fernando Tatis Jr. isn't going to? You're right. I don't know that. But the issue is, is that Fernando Tatis Jr. has such a high upside that somebody would overpay for him in years past his prime. By the Padres giving him this contract, they are paying for his entire prime. They are saying, you are our franchise player from now until you reach the end of your prime. And the Padres will not have to pay him for any years past his prime. And if you are paying him for any years past his prime, it is the last three, maybe two years of that deal. You have secured one of the best young stars in baseball for the entirety of his prime. You have a generational superstar in San Diego of all places for the entirety of his prime. For all of his 20s and most of the productive years of his 30s. Fernando Tatis Jr. made a commitment to the San Diego Padres. And by the way, this contract has a no-trade clause. And even if it didn't have a no-trade clause, by the time that they would potentially think of trading him, he will have reached his 10-5 rights and could veto any trade out there. So in effect, he has a no-trade clause, but with the length of the contract, he would have had the no-trade clause built in because of the 10-5 rights. I absolutely love this contract. It was the right thing to do at the right time for the right player. And you might think, yeah, it's a little bit much to pay him $24 million before you have to, but by the time that he reaches age 29, he will be worth way more than that and will be making far less than what he's worth. It's a great deal for him because he gets to cash in right away instead of having to wait for his first big payday. This really works for everybody involved, and I absolutely love it. It's great for baseball, it's great for Tatis, and it's great for the city of San Diego, the Padres, and the fans of that organization. A smaller market team is going all in. The Padres have been all in since the trade deadline of last season. They've got a great mix of elite starting pitching and superstar position talent. Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. are roaming the left side of that infield for the next 10 years. Get used to it, National League. This is going to be the team to beat for years to come. Yeah, all you Dodger fans can say, well, we're the defending world champion. We're still the best, blah, 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 blah. For the next 10 years, the team that is in the best position to win it all on a yearly basis is the San Diego Padres. Because of travel restrictions between the United States and Canada, the Toronto Blue Jays are set to announce that their first two homestands of the 2021 season will be played at their spring training complex in Dunedin, Florida. The Canadian government has yet to give the Blue Jays the go-ahead to play games at their home at Rogers Center, so the Blue Jays are going to have to play in Florida to start the 2021 season. The NBA's Toronto Raptors have been in Tampa Bay, Florida since the start of the 2020-2021 NBA season and have no plans to return to Canada anytime soon. That is because the Canadian government does not want teams traveling to and from Canada. 
Meanwhile, the NHL set up their divisions this year so that Canadian teams would only play Canadian teams prior to the playoffs. So the Toronto Maple Leafs are at home for the time being, and that's because they are only traveling within Canada. My point in regards to bringing up the other two pro sports organizations in Toronto is that the Blue Jays, they may not get to play in Canada at all this year, or at least prior to the All-Star break. Even though it wasn't announced until a couple days prior to opening day, we all had a feeling that the Canadian government was not going to let the Blue Jays travel to and from Canada, which is why we speculated about alternate homes before the announcement was made official that Canada would not let the Blue Jays in. However, the Blue Jays, on February 17th, announced that they are going to have their first two homestands in Florida, proving to everybody on the outside that they know they're not going back to Canada anytime soon. The question remains, are they going to play the whole season in Dunedin, Florida? Are they going to play there until they can go back to Canada? Or are they going to try and find another home in the United States before they go back to Canada? With the AAA baseball season on track to start on time, it is unlikely that the Blue Jays would be able to return to Buffalo, New York, their home for the 2020 season, as the Buffalo Bison are going to play a full home schedule this upcoming year. So the Blue Jays are in a real predicament. They don't know where they're going to go. All they know is they're going to start in Dunedin, Florida. My guess is they will stay there until at least the All-Star break. With some teams pondering whether or not they can have fans to start the season, the Blue Jays have to be wary of capacity limits based on where they decide to play their games. Their spring training park is not that big, so if they do allow fans at Blue Jays games in Florida, and let's just face it, it's Florida, of course they're going to allow fans because Florida they won't be able to allow as many fans in as, say, the Rays or the Marlins based on capacity limits. The Blue Jays are in a no-win situation, and because of the fact they're the only Canadian baseball team, they may end up being road warriors for a second straight season. So here is another gem from our guy, Bob Nightingale. But he's actually a good authority to talk about this because he has the inside track to Jerry Reinsdorf. A report from Nightingale came out yesterday that said that Jerry Reinsdorf chose not to tell others within the White Sox organization after Tony La Russa informed him of his DOI arrest early on in the hiring process for the White Sox managerial position. Per the report from Nightingale, Rick Hahn, the White Sox general manager, did not find out about the DUI arrest until after the White Sox had made the hire. He found out the day that they introduced LaRussa at his opening press conference. The optics on this look even worse than they did when the White Sox first hired LaRussa, and just as bad as when everybody found out about the DUI arrest. What this clearly shows is that all of the reports that said that this was a collaborative process, that the White Sox organization wanted to hire the best guy, and we didn't believe these from the start, but this just validates the fact that Rick Hahn had nothing to do with the hiring process when it came to hiring the next White Sox manager. This was all Jerry Reinsdorf. He wanted Tony La Russa from the start. We thought Bob Nightingale was crazy when he put it out there, but... Bob Nightingale! 
was right on this from the beginning, and now that we know the full story behind Rick Hahn's involvement, it is easy to understand why Hahn has wanted to distance himself at all costs from LaRussa. I'm sure that Skip Bayless would be happy that I'm including this story. Tim Tebow has retired from professional baseball. The former University of Florida quarterback and Heisman Trophy winner signed a contract with the Mets during the 2016 season and played for four seasons in the Mets minor league organization. Tebow received a spring training invite just a few days prior to announcing his retirement. Tebow had received prior big league spring training invites in the prior years, but he never got to the big leagues during the regular season. In 2019, he played 77 games with the Syracuse Mets of the International League, where he hit 163 with four homers and 19 RBI. His best season came in Double A in 2018, where in 84 games he hit 273 with six home runs and 36 RBI. Everybody thought that Tim Tebow, because of his athletic ability and because of his notoriety, would have a chance to make it to the big leagues as an outfielder with the Mets, but just quite simply put, he wasn't good enough to be a big league outfielder. Tebow issued this statement in the press release from the Mets. Quote, I want to thank the Mets, Mr. Alderson, the fans, and all my teammates for the chance to be a part of such a great organization. I loved every minute of the journey, but at this time, I feel called in other directions. I never want to be partially in on anything. I always want to be 100% in on whatever I choose. Thank you again for everyone's support of this awesome journey in baseball. I'll always cherish my time as a Met. When he says that he wants to be all in on anything he does... Tebow was also doing analyst work for SEC Network while the minor league season was still going on over the past couple of years. Tim Tebow will always have his toe in the football pool, and while he was always willing to play a full season in baseball, he never had the commitment level that it would take to be a major league outfielder. I am glad that the Tim Tebow circus in regards to baseball is over. I wish him the best of luck with whatever he does, but it was time for this to end. Thank goodness Tim Tebow has finally retired from baseball. So yesterday, pitchers and catchers reported to spring training all across the Cactus and Grapefruit Leagues, but there is a caveat. Britt Giroli of The Athletic, I think that's how you pronounce her name, actually tweeted out that they did not report yesterday. They actually reported a week ago, but had to quarantine and take their initial intake tests before they were allowed on the field. I understand that pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training is a symbolic start to baseball season. It just does not feel the same this year. It feels weird because the last time that pitchers and catchers reported to spring training, it was prior to COVID. There is a spring training schedule. There will be spring training games played, apparently, but I will believe it when I see it. It's a weird start to spring training because of how free agency went, how players have had to report, the ongoing discussions between the owners and the MLB Players Union. It's just a really weird start to spring training. I'm happy that it's here, but it's really under a dark cloud of uncertainty that's going to stay with us until opening day actually gets here. It's a long way from opening day when you really think about it. 
yes, it's only six weeks away, but do we really feel like it's actually going to start on time? All systems say yes, but again, I'll believe it when I see it. Finally, here are some free agency notes. The Oakland Athletics have signed a pair of relievers, bringing back Yusmero Petit on a one-year deal and signing former San Francisco giant Sergio Romo to a one-year deal. Left-hander Brett Anderson is back with the Milwaukee Brewers, signing a one-year $2.5 million contract to return to the Brew Crew. It also has an additional $1 million in incentives. Matt Shoemaker and the Minnesota Twins are in agreement on a one-year, $2 million deal. Pending his physical, he can also earn another $250,000 in performance bonuses should he meet the required incentives. The Dodgers and A's also made a trade, Oakland acquiring Adam Kolarik and Cody Thomas from L.A. in exchange for Sheldon Noisy and Gus Varland. The Dodgers also traded away another bullpen piece as Dylan Floro is going to the Miami Marlins for reliever Alex Vesla and a prospect, sources told ESPN's Jeff Passan. The Tampa Bay Rays have traded away one of their top arms in the bullpen, shipping John Curtis further south in Florida to Miami for former fourth-round pick Evan Edwards out of North Carolina State. I want to wrap this episode up, but I do promise you that we will get to the Ryan Ellis story in the next episode. Ellis is the now former Mets hitting performance coordinator who was fired last month after three women told the Mets about sexual harassment in 2018. So I want to spend a little bit more time on that and the systemic problem that seems to be going on inside the Mets organization when it comes to sexual harassment. Write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. If you have a question about the show or a question for me, leave a review, five stars please, and ask your question in the review. That, to me, is a good way of getting some really good questions and reviews onto this podcast. Thanks again for listening to this edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of Athletes Unfiltered. Have a great rest of your day. We will catch you next time.